You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this is Theology for the Rest of Us, coming at you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thank you for letting me have a voice in your life. I am so incredibly grateful and uh, so so humbled over and over again by the incredible feedback I get from many of you by email and social media. So thank you guys so much. Uh, this is episode 274, and I'm going to answer a question. How do you determine whether or not a particular preacher or teacher is a false teacher? Or how do you determine if someone is a heretic, if they're teaching heresies? Um, wh- what's the the barometer or the, the, the rubric, so to speak, you use to measure whether or not you put a particular author or preacher or teacher into the camp of the false teachers? Okay, first I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't put someone in the camp of being a false teacher just because I disagree with them, all right? It is definitely possible to disagree with Kenny Ortiz and not be a heretic. In fact, I am probably wrong sometimes. I'm probably wrong more than I realize, right? So it is possible for Christians that love God, that love the Bible, to disagree. That's okay. Just because people disagree doesn't mean that one of them is a heretic or one of them is a false teacher, okay? So I, I want to make that very, very clear. And I think I've proven this because I've brought lots of people on the podcast with whom I disagree. If you go to my website and you look at the recommended books, they're not all people that I agree with, right? I've got lots of theological differences and different uh, you know, convictions from people that I've interviewed and promote and I endorse, right? So I, I think there are lots of areas we could agree um, or, and lots of, or excuse me, lots of areas we can disagree and it's fine. But then there's areas that... If we disagree on this, then we're really not even within the same faith anymore. Like we're not doing, we're not practicing the same religion, right? It's one thing if you if you disagree with me on on eschatology, the end times, exactly how the end times is going to unfold. Okay, we could disagree on that. But if someone disagrees with me on the deity of Christ, if they say no, Jesus is not God, well, now you're messing with things that literally change the essence of Christianity. You you are changing the character and nature of God. Jesus is God. You're telling him he is not God. That's very disrespectful and blasphemous, right? So that, that's not an area where we're allowed to disagree. Right? That's an area we would say, hey, you're actually now promoting something that's different altogether. And, and now we need to kind of call a timeout and begin to determine whether or not you are in the, the category of false teacher. And if you're claiming Jesus is not God, then you probably are. Um, now, there are some times where people aren't as obvious that it's not as obvious that they are heretics. And I talked about this quite a bit in the previous episode, episode 273. Uh, sometimes it's not so obvious that someone is a false teacher or they're, or they're promoting a heresy. Uh, and I think therefore we need to be very cautious and we need to be very discerning. So what I want to give you is the six things I do to help me determine whether or not I think someone's a false teacher and whether or not I think we ought to listen to their preaching or teaching. Um, the number one way I do this is the Bible. And I know that's really obvious, really simple. Um, but the Bible, if someone is teaching something that is clearly contrary to what we see in the Bible, well, I, I then would label them a false teacher. For example, I believe the Bible is very clear that Jesus 
is God. So if someone is teaching that Jesus is not God, or if they're teaching that he somehow relinquished his divinity, that for some period of time he wasn't God, well, then I would say that is a heresy. And I would say anyone that is espousing that or that is you know, promoting that thought process is a heretic. And I would say we probably should not endorse uh, that particular false teacher or that brand of teaching. Now, the reality is it's rarely that clear, right? It's, it's rarely, rarely that clear. There are so many different people with different opinions about the Bible and different interpretations um, about different texts that it's not usually that obvious. So we have to kind of begin, begin to kind of add some additional things to our, our rubric, to our, you know, to our, our, our set of, 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 of metrics we use to determine whether or not someone's a false teacher. So number one's the Bible. The number two thing that I rely a lot upon is early church writings. Um, I put a lot of stock in church history. And so I, I like to read um, in fact, I've read pretty much most of the things that were written by early church members, you know, in the, in the latter parts of the first century and into the second and third centuries. And so guys like uh, Clement and Irenaeus and Ignatius and Polycarp. Um, and, and, you know, a little later on, we've got guys like Origen and Tertullian um, and, you know, Jerome and, there, you know, Justin. There, there, there are many others. And then as we get uh, to the, you know, toward the latter centuries of the uh, of the Roman Empire, you've got Augustine and Athanasius and Eusebius and John Chrysostom. Right? There's a bunch of these th- these writers from throughout the early portions of church history, and we've got quite a bit of their writings uh, that have been you know, saved and that we have access to and we can look through. Uh, and I think it's really valuable um, to really consider what did the early church teach? What were the the consensus? And certainly they disagreed about things, but what was the consensus? Where, where did they agree? What were the things they were promoting? Um, and if there's any teachers today that are preaching, uh, you know, doctrines that are clearly contrary to what the early church taught and where they were in unison, um, then I probably am going to be uncomfortable with that particular, you know, preacher. Um, so number one, I'm using the Bible. What does the Bible clearly say? What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible point to? What are the themes we see in the scriptures? Number two, what are the early church writings saying and pointing to? Um, where do the the early church peoples agree? Number three, and this kind of goes along with number two, uh, maybe could be lumped in with number two, but I, I'm making it distinct for for a specific purpose, and that is the ancient creeds. You know, throughout the early church and into the Middle Ages, there were various ecumenical councils. And what came out of these councils were statements and creeds. Um, there were many of them. Uh, most famously was the Council of Nicaea, uh, where where the, the doctrine of the Trinity was uh, argued and debated, and there was an incredible statement about what we as Christians believe about the Trinity that was stated. And and you know the, the civil war, so to speak, not not a literal civil war in, in most cases, but 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 the the incredible debate that raged on throughout the 300s and 400s was was fierce and significant um, because there were the they were the Arians who disagreed with the doctrine of the Trinity and then there were the Nicene Christians these, these are what we call Orthodox Christians or genuine Christians are the ones that basically got it right um, the ones that believe in the Trinity there's this massive debates uh, between these peoples um, but what we see over the course of time is that the Nicene Creed, and the, the, the doctrine that came out of that um, has proven to be the, 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 the doctrines that certainly have been upheld generation after generation after generation. 
And so I think there's value in the ancient creeds because they, 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 they've, they've passed the test of time. Um, and I think that could be really helpful. So if people today are teaching things that fly in the face of ancient creeds and ancient doctrines that came out of the ecumenical councils, well, then we would say that those people are false teachers. Um, I think that's really important. So number one, for me, it's the Bible. Number two, it's the early church writings and, and many of the, the pastors and theologians of you know the, the early centuries of the church. Number three, ancient creeds and, and doctrines and statements that came out of the ecumenical council. I think those are really helpful. Number four, and number four is kind of similar to three and two. I could have kind of lumped all of these together, but I wanted to make them distinct. Um, number four is confessions and catechisms, specifically from the Reformation era and the, the era soon thereafter. Um, for, for almost 800 years, Christianity on the planet was, it was really not in a good place. There were certainly moments throughout church history where things got better and there were certain regions where things were great and, and, and better. But for the, for, the, for the bulk of about it, for about eight centuries throughout most of Europe, the version of Christianity that was being promoted was really not a quality version of Christianity. It was really perverted in a lot of ways in most parts of Europe um, for about seven or 800 years leading up to the 1500s. And what eventually happened is this thing called the Protestant Reformation, one of the most incredible events in all of world history, not just, you know, not just in Christian history, but in world history. Uh, so the Protestant Reformation was incredibly impactful. You had some, you basically had a rediscovery of the gospel, the rediscovery of key Christian foundations and key Christian doctrines. Um, a, a revolution took place, a spiritual revolution took place, which led largely to a cultural and political revolution to some extent throughout Europe as well. Um, and then you had a bunch of these documents being produced. You had people from all over uh, you know, the Christian world coming together to argue theology, to debate, to discuss, and then kind of figure out what they believe to be true. What is it that Christians ought to believe and embrace? And you had all these confessions and documents and catechisms being produced um, in the 1500s during the Reformation, as well as in the era that followed into the 16 and 1700s. You had a lot of great documents and they didn't always all agree with one another, um, but they're all really, really helpful in helping us understand what is what is the range that we ought to be considering truth and what's the range we ought to be considering? What's the type of teaching or the type of doctrines we ought to be considering and debating? And what are the types of doctrines that we should clearly be rejecting as false or erroneous or as heretical? So again, number one, the Bible. Number two, early church writings. Number three, ancient creeds and statements that came out of the ecumenical councils. Number four, we have the uh, confessions and the catechisms of the Protestant Reformation and in, in the years that followed that. Um, and that, I think those are really, really helpful. Uh, number five um, is is the opinions of pastors that I trust. And there are pastors that I know that I feel like have proven themselves to be good Bible teachers that are mature in the faith and that I look up to in a lot of ways. And I, I ask them, I get their opinion. Um, and so I say, what do you think of this? But I always ask them why. I don't just take their opinion carte blanche as absolute gospel. I, I want to say, hey, why do you think this person's a false teacher? Can you explain to me why you think that's the case? And what is it about them that's flawed? And if it's a pastor that I trust, who's proven himself to be faithful to the scriptures 
and faithful in ministry, and he's got really good reasons to present why he thinks a particular preacher or teacher is false, then I'm likely to believe him and, and to put a lot of stock in his opinions. I'm not necessarily always going to agree with uh, pastors that I trust necessarily, but I want to just at least consider what they're saying. And I just want to encourage you to do the same. Um, if there's people in your life that you think, man, so-and-so has really proven to be faithful to the text, they're faithful to the scriptures, then I would encourage you to really put a lot of trust and confidence in their opinions. Uh, I think that's helpful. And then number six, the last thing I do whenever I'm determining if whether or not I, I'm going to put a particular preacher or teacher in the camp of a false teacher is, are they teaching things that I think are detrimental or harmful? Are they teaching ideology or philosophy or, or doctrines that are going to harm people if they believe that? Let me give a really, really silly example. Um, if someone were to tell you, I believe that the only food you should eat is McDonald's and you should eat McDonald's four times a day. You should have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a late night snack at McDonald's four times a day, every single day. Now, if someone taught you that and you believed it and you began to do it, you're, you're going to be very unhealthy. It's going to be harmful to you. It's going to be detrimental to you, right? I know that's a silly example, but the point I'm making is if I see someone promoting philosophies or theology that I think had the potential to harm people if they actually believe it and embrace it, then I'm going to say, listen, don't listen to that preacher. And I'm going to try to combat what that preacher is teaching. And I'm going to ask people that I care about to not listen to that because I don't want to see people harmed. And I've seen this over and over and over again. I don't feel like I've been in ministry very long. I'm in my 30s. You know, I've, I've, I've got about 10 years of local church ministry experience. And, you know, I got some additional leadership experience on top of that and other genres of life. I don't have a tremendous amount of experience. There's a lot of people out there that have decades of ministry experience, decades of pastoral experience, decades of, of preaching and teaching and counseling. I'm not at that level by any means, but I'll tell you in my, in my tenure of ministry and leadership, I can point to dozens and dozens of examples of people that believed some doctrine that some preacher taught and it led them to make decisions that ultimately were harmful to them and unhelpful or unhealthy. And it caused pain in their life. And when you love someone and you care about them and you see them being taught some garbage that's hurtful to them, it, it frustrates you. It makes you angry in, in a righteous way. And it makes me want to protect people I care about. You know, I'm not out there trying to, to try to cause controversy or rip people down. My goal is to try to protect people I care about from ideologies or from doctrines that I think could be harmful to them. I think there are some harmful doctrines out there. I've heard people say things about, you know, let's say, for example, speaking in tongues, saying, if you don't speak in tongues, it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, what if someone who really loves God, who does have the Holy Spirit, but God has not given them the gift of speaking in tongues, now they're going to feel like they're less than. They're going to feel like they're a second-class citizen or they're a second-class Christian. They're not as good of a Christian you know, because God didn't give them the gift. Or, or, or they're going to even question their salvation. They're going to question whether or not they're even saved. And it's going to, it's going to cause all sorts of anxiety and fear to, to, be, to, be, to well up inside of them, which is harmful and emotionally unhealthy. It's damaging. I don't think that's a doctrine that I want people knowing or embracing. Um, the prosperity gospel and some of the other elements that come from that camp, um, I think, could be really harmful. 
I think there are doctrines and theological frameworks out there that can be uh, really unhelpful to people. Things like universalism and open theism, I think, could be really detrimental if people were to embrace those. Um, there's a particular really well-known preacher out there today that's telling people he's preaching that Jesus is not in control or God is not in control. He, he'll say things like, the Bible never says that God is in control. Well, I think the Bible is very clear that God is indeed in control. There are literally dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of passages of scripture that lead us to believe that God is absolutely perfectly sovereign over all things and that we can trust him. And I think if people don't know that, or if they don't believe that, it will be extremely hard to live this life. It will be exhausting. It will be emotionally unhealthy. It will be detrimental to your faith and your spiritual well-being if you don't understand the depth of God's control and power and sovereignty and providence your life will not go as well. Your life will have significant harm if you believe that doctrine that that preacher is teaching. So therefore, I feel the need to tell you God is in control. And that man, he's preaching a false doctrine. It's a false teaching that I think could be really harmful to you. And in that case, I would have no problem encouraging people to ignore that particular person's preaching or or books, or songs, or curriculums, or, or whatever is coming out of you know his church or his ministry. Um, any preacher, any author, man or woman, American or British, black or white, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Any person teaching something that I think is detrimental and harmful to the lives of individual people is someone that I'm going to unashamedly and unapologetically tell people hey, you shouldn't listen to that person. I, I think they're going to be harmful. I think there's some other preachers out there that could give you everything that preacher gives you that you think is good, but without the baggage, right? It, so if, if you like this preacher over here, you know, preacher Joe Blow, but he's got this detrimental ideology or detrimental doctrine, well, I think you should stop listening to Joe Blow. You should come over here and listen to, you know, uh, you know, Sammy Joe, because Sammy Joe will teach you everything that that other guy would have taught you that was good, but he won't teach you any of the bad. And I want to encourage you to ignore that false teacher, but maybe come over here and listen to these sermons or read these books by these particular preachers and authors over here. Um, and it's because I, it's, I care about people. I'm a pastor at heart and I want to protect people. So if there's someone out there that is preaching doctrines or ideologies that I think are detrimental, I have no problem letting people around me know that they should not listen to that particular teacher or read that particular book. So those are the six things I do and the one thing I don't do. I don't consider someone a false teacher just because they disagree with me. Instead, I use the Bible. I use early church writings, ancient creeds, confessions, and catechisms from the Reformation era and in the time right after that. I use the opinions of pastors that have proven themselves to me to be faithful to the word of God that I trust. And I ask them why they think someone's a false teacher. Um, and then lastly, the sixth thing is I look at the potential harm or detriment that might be caused by certain theology or certain ideology that's being taught. And I use that to help me determine whether or not I think someone is a false teacher. As I look at those six things, if there's a particular preacher that goes against those things or most of those things, then then I think it's safe to say that preacher is a false teacher. Now, I don't do that lightly. I, I think we should be very uh, kind and gracious. We should be sober-minded. We should be discerning. We should be slow to label someone a heretic or a false teacher. We shouldn't just do that randomly or haphazardly. Right? We should be really careful. But sometimes preachers do prove themselves to be false, and it is appropriate 
to call them out as such and to protect people we care about from those false teachings. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want me to clarify anything I've said herein, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. If you think anything I said is uh, wrong, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know. Or if there's a particular preacher or teacher in your life that you want to know about, and you're like, hey, Kenny, I'm curious your opinion, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. I'd love the dialogue. Uh, my email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at Theology for the rest of us.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K E N N E T H O R T I Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.